Hello and welcome back to our Gilmore Girls podcast, Coffee with a Shot of Cynicism. I'm Jamie and this is my co-host Lenny. Oh boy. <laughs> I don't think we ever talked about that, did we? I don't know, did we? I think we, we posted the screenshot of that um, review on Instagram, but I don't think we ever actually discussed it on air. So, as I said, I'm Jamie, this is Lenny. Hello. <laughs> so we, we received a review um, online a while ago now. It's been a few weeks because, you know, time isn't real in 2020. Who knows what day it is? Uh, is it October? Is it May? I don't know anymore. Um, and this person ref- gave us a lovely review and uh, referred to us as Jamie and Lenny. So I guess that's our names now. So Jeffrey and Lenny can't come to the phone right now. Why? Oh, because they're dead. I love it, though. <laughs> I do too, and I even I even told you on my birthday, which was a few weeks ago, that um, our our forthcoming sitcom title should be Jamie Loves Lenny. Yeah, but what would the premise be? Kind of like a Will and Grace type situation. I don't know. Oh, you've never dated. <laughs> oh, true. Okay, well, like a Will and Grace minus like any romantic history. Okay, whatever. Um, I don't know how well that would go. It wouldn't. You'd kill me, or I or I would. Would end up dead. I don't know how. Else <laughs> would end up dead, either by our own hands or by each other. But uh, yeah, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be great. So let's <laughs> get to the podcast, shall we? Yes. Uh, today we're discussing episode 320. What's the title, Jeffrey? Say goodnight, Gracie. Good job. Uh, <laughs> I'm always gonna test you now. You know that, right? Yeah, I know. Okay. So this is the aftermath of the party. And so there's a few kind of like aftermathy things. Is that a word? No, it's not, but I'm going to use it anyways. So there's the party and the aftermath of what happened in Kyle's bedroom. Mm. Um, and then there's what Lane did in terms of calling Mrs. Kim while she's drunk and kind of spilling her guts. Yes. And then um, the inn is still kind of up in the air. Mm-hmm. So big episode and yeah go ahead I was gonna no, I was gonna say um not to interrupt I was going to say um it's interesting because at the beginning of the season you said that season three is one of the best seasons and while I've, I think I've made clear it's not my personal favorite I think I have to agree now that a lot of crucial like character defining and show defining stuff happens in season three yeah so I think in terms of moving the plot along mm-hmm. um that happens more in season three than in any other season. So, you know, in the past, we've talked about filler episodes. There's, like, so little filler in season three. There, yeah, there's there's very little filler episodes in season three, which is, by the way, why we haven't doubled up on a lot of our episodes lately. I think the last time we did we did a double episode was 11 and 12, and that was forever ago now. So It could be, but, like, when we, when we set out to um, plan out the rest of the season in terms of our podcast... We were we always try to see what episodes can be put together because maybe there's less to talk about, maybe there's less plot points, maybe we have more to say in terms of like personal experiences or whatever. Uh, this didn't happen in season three. No. You know, we did that a lot more in season two and one. And in season three, every time we sat down to talk about what we were gonna say in the podcast, we we're like, well, this has to be done alone. This has to be done alone. Yeah. Yeah, because we knew we were going to have so much to say in terms of the plot points and getting into these characters. So, um, I mean, I'm happy about that. It it means more content for you guys, which is fine. Um, 
But I could also air my grievances. <laughs> yes, and I give this more. It, honestly, I feel like when, since we started re- recording virtually after you moved to a different city, because, you know, this okay, is what well, you do. It's not just my fault. There's also pandemic happening. True. But you moved to a different city. Let's just make that clear. You moved to a different city. She left me here. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, no, but, you know, exactly. still could have. So I have to move. <laughs> um, it's funny how, like, once you started recording virtually, um, once we started do and once we started doing you know, more episodes by themselves, it kind of let there's like more freedom to just like talk about whatever we want within the confines of this one episode. Because I find when we do when we double them, we have to like make sure we're not skipping ahead or like jumping too far ahead. And then we're like, oh, whatever, this, this episode's a mess anyway. Let's just discuss what we want to discuss. So I find it I, kind of we do that anyway. <laughs> we do this all gibberish. It's just a mess of a podcast. I don't know why you listen to us anyway, but That's here we well. are. Don't don't scare them. Um, <laughs> Please, if we were gonna scare them away, we would have scared them away a long time ago. That's true. So whatever, say whatever you want. But um, no, I do think I do think there's value in doing episodes separately. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes the reality is that there's not there's not much to talk about with certain episodes. So I don't mind doubling up and maybe giving you guys more of a personal flair. Yeah, for sure. Um, that being said, though. <laughs> An episode like this or last week's episode is it really needs to be taken apart. Mm-hmm. Um, we did that. Last, I think we spoke last week about, um, you know, the scene in the bedroom and how we broke that down. And we got a lot of comments about how we people appreciated the way we broke it down because it isn't so black and white. So yes. there's more of that in this episode. Um, and so that's why it needs to be done alone. Also, I just have to say, I appreciated all of the comments commending commending me for calling Dean out as a Trump supporter, because we all know that's who he would have voted for. Okay, well. Or at least, like, aesthetically, he's kind of has the allure of a Trump supporter. Oh, my God. Okay. Ready? Yes. No, Uh, (laughs) no, I get it. I, I definitely, I think he's a Trump supporter, too. Trump supporter. Jesus, that wasn't a word. Okay. Um, so lots to discuss in this episode. There's so much to, like you said, to break down because there's a lot, a lot that happens that only once you rewatch for the purposes of analysis that you kind of pick up on. Yeah. And what I wanted to say is that, you know, Gilmore Girls has always been a show for me that I enjoy watching. It's funny. It's lighthearted. Everything's great. This is... mm, this is one of the few, I won't say the only, but it's one of the few episodes where I was genuinely sad watching it. In what um, way? In what way? So <laughs> I just think there's so much shit that everyone's dealing with. Yeah. So um, so let's 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 leave the adults out of it for one second. Okay. And focus on the teens in this show right now. Mm-hmm. So Jess is going through so much. The hits just keep on coming for him. Yeah. As we're going to get into. Um, Rory doesn't know where she stands because she clearly loves him, but she, I think she's starting to realize that that's not enough. He's also sending a lot of mixed messages, let's be honest. Yeah, for sure. Oh, absolutely. But I think, like, I think because things were so easy with Dean, she's having a much harder time with somebody who... Um, is a little bit more reserved and can't communicate properly. 
that plus he's all he's also just much more complex yes absolutely no and I get that and um you know I I hesitate to say that he's the only one at fault because we also dove in last week into his I don't know like his background and what he must be feeling and going through Mm -hmm. but I think in this episode, it's really hard for Rory, too, because she clearly wants to talk to him, but she doesn't know what to say because the last time she tried, everything went to shit, but she doesn't like the way she feels. Yeah. And even Lane in this episode, even though we get some lighthearted moments between her and her mother and Dave, that whole thing, um, I was just feeling so bad for her. Yeah. Because... She's, like, waiting for the other shoe to drop. And she's, like, a scared kid who doesn't know what's going to happen next. So she's trying to do everything right so that her mother doesn't... You know what I mean? Like, it's just... It was a lot, this episode, in terms of what the teens are going through. Yeah, and I have to say, while we're on the topic of Lane, it's interesting now that I think about it, because I guess I wasn't thinking thinking that much about it before, Mm -hmm. how... The way her mother reacts is in stark contrast to how she reacts in season four when everything actually does come to a head in their relationship. It's interesting how she, um, like we're left to assume that she just repressed the memory of this phone call, this drunken phone call, and is, you know, in, in um, Lane and Rory's opinion, might be like freezing her out. But then even when... Um, Dave ends up, you know, reading the entire Bible in one night, which apparently Mrs. Kim has done three times. Which is ridiculous. It's like, you can you can just tell in Mrs. Kim's face that she's, like, willing to let this happen or willing to, like, more or less let Lane and Dave run some kind of natural course together. But in season four, when it comes down to actually letting her daughter live her life, it's like, no, I can't do that. You have to to do that on your own or my way. And it's just, it's weird how they don't go together. Yeah. So do you want to, you want to talk about Lane first to get that out of the way before we dive into deeper things? Let's do it. So, okay. So Lane, Lane calls her mother drunk, basically tells her that she loves Dave and she wants to go to the prom with him. And she's a drummer in a band. And drinking beer. And drinking beer. She's drunk. Well, she had one beer, so but you know, <laughs> we're made we're made to believe that she's never um, had a drink before, so it affects her, whatever. Yeah. So she's explaining to Rory then that she gets home and she's expecting um, like the cavalry, <laughs> mm-hmm. and basically her mom's in bed, doesn't scold her, doesn't even talk about it, um, and she's just like freaking out because she's she. I guess she, like us, she expected her mother to freak out, right? Because remember yeah. in the first season when she went to the movies with Todd? Was oh, it Todd? boy, that was, like, such a meltdown. Yeah, so, like, you know, even I was, even I, I can remember vividly watching this episode when it first aired and and saying to myself, oh, my God, Mrs. Kim is going to burn her alive. Yeah. Like, she's going to stick her in a deep fryer. It's true. I so even I was surprised that that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So the reason I say it's kind of a sad episode is a difficult episode because so Rory goes and talks to Lane and Lane is volunteering at the church. Yeah. And she says, well, I've agreed to run this booth for the rest of whatever. 
And I've agreed to go to the seven-day Adventist college that she wants me to go to in Hartford. And, like, she's willing to do all this stuff instead of just talk to her mother. Exactly. Which is, honestly, in my opinion, it's kind of a mark of how much the Kim household is, like, rubbed off on her. Because, like, she, too, is willing to just not acknowledge the elephant in the room and just keep on pretend to be a people pleaser just for her mother's sake like I get it it's her mother and she still loves her on some level but it's just it's like it's it's hard all around to see the Kim family just like ignore and deny their emotions yeah so it's also really hard because I I got the impression while watching this that it's like she's trying to repress herself exactly because her mother won't do it because her mother for whatever reason, can't talk to her about it, which I still mm-hmm. don't understand, by the way. Um, but I have a theory. <laughs> she's It's like she's punishing herself for her mother. Exactly. Because, and it, it just reminds me, she's, she's just, I don't know, like, to me, she's like, I did a bad thing, lane, bad lane. Like, you know what I mean? And she's, mm-hmm. like, making all these concessions. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to that seven-day Adventist college because I was, I slipped up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's so heartbreaking for me because you can both easily just talk to each other right now, mm-hmm. and which does eventually end up happening at the end where she's like, mama, I, did, I know I did a bad thing. I'm, I'll never drink beer again, whatever, you know, when she, t- when she talks to her. Yeah. Um, but the reason I'd like to say that the reason I think Mrs. Kim went easy on her, um, is because it revolved around a guy. Yeah, I did. And what I mean by that is that, so I think she can forgive the fact that her daughter likes a guy who's not Korean because she's met this guy and she thinks he's an okay guy. Mm -hmm. But I think because you mentioned season four, I think the difference is in season four is that it's Lane as a person that's changing. Yeah. So all the things that she taught Lane, like, you have to go to church and you have to be good and you have to do all these things like that fundamentally is changing. Yeah. That's a good point. Whereas this is just cause she's like, Oh, she's being an American teenager and she wants to go to the prom with a boy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was like, you can, and you can tell that um, like Mrs. Kim was like allowing this one exception almost. It wasn't as if she's saying, okay, great. Go be in a band, go live your life. She was just saying like, okay, I'll allow you to go to prom with this boy who I've met and who has tried countless times to win my affection and prove himself. But that's what it is. It really is an exception because she tells her that Lane is grounded until the prom. She can go out on the prom, but then she's grounded for two months after that. Yeah. So I really do think that this whole thing is just because Mrs. Kim in her head has to come to, like, has to think to herself, okay, Lane's still Lane. She's just she's just being an American teenager who wants to go to the prom with a boy. That I can excuse. Whereas in season four, she's like, this shit I cannot deal with because Lane to her core is changing in the way that, well, Mrs. Kim thinks she's changing. But I think in, in season four, it's harder for her because she thinks, I don't really know my daughter at all. Yeah. And it's also it's a good good thing you pointed out that it's she's making, like, she, she's willing to excuse this um instant of her going to the prom with Dave it was never I'm going to accept that she's going to the prom with this boy I'm going to make this one excuse for you yeah no I think that's a really good distinction Mm -hmm. um 
But that being said, I still don't kind of get how we get to the point in season four where Mrs. Kim is so surprised. Yeah. Because if you think about, like, it just doesn't make sense to me in, in terms of the writing of the show. Like, you have her spill her guts, and okay, you can kind of excuse the fact that, okay, maybe she's just, like, obsessed with this guy, whatever, I can I can let that go. <laughs> but then when Mrs. Kim, we're skipping way ahead, but when Mrs. Kim finds her music, and she's like, so this is who you are, this is what you've been hiding from me all these years, the bitch, she literally told you she's a drummer in a band. <laughs> Yeah, so like that's I think that's Mrs. Kim's ability to repress anything she doesn't want to oh, face absolutely. or accept. Absolutely, but in terms of like from a viewer's point of view, you're just like, what? You just forgot that? Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Anyways, so I think I don't know. I just hate the fact that Lane's been taught um, not to be herself so much that yeah. she's willing to just make herself unhappy. Mm-hmm, exactly like it's just the ability you let you learn when you're I think when you're young and you realize that like you're not going to be accepted for who you are that you kind of you like you begin to subconsciously manipulate your your every thought and your every action to please others yeah and it's not, and it's not even a matter of like Mrs. Kim um is her mom and she wants to please her mom it's more or less just you like you internalize the opinions of others so deeply and it in Lane's case is it's because it is her mom and she wants to obviously earn and prove her mom like earn her mom's approval. Mm-hmm. Um but I think in general Lane kind of represents this vision of a kid who wants to who wants so badly to fit in, even though Lane is more or less kind of always fit in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she like she wants to have the best of both worlds, but she also yeah, yeah, that's what I was yourself. about to say. I think when you say fit in, mm-hmm. I think Lane doesn't really know where she fits in. Because on the one hand, yeah. I think she likes her Korean culture, but she thinks it's really oppressive. Yeah. At least in the way her mother exhibits it and enforces it. But on the other hand, she grew up in America and she's obviously going to be influenced by all the American teen things that she's influenced by. Yeah. So she... I think there's big conflict for her that mm-hmm. hasn't yet reached its boiling point, but will eventually because we know what happens. Yeah. And I think for her, it's hard because she doesn't she doesn't know how to convey to her mother that just because um, there's this whole other side of her mm-hmm. doesn't mean she's not still a good Korean kid. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's really hard for people of different cultures and ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Um, we've spoken to fans of the show who have emailed us and have said, like, it's very hard growing up in a different country when the old country's ways are still very much present in your life, right? Yeah. And I myself have struggled with that, um, where, you know, I grew up in Canada and so did my parents, but my grandparents' Greek influence is very much still a part of our lives. Yeah. And there are certain things I shouldn't or can't do. Um, not not so much now because I'm 28, but maybe w- the way I was raised reflected the old rules. <laughs> yeah. So I think I, I was lucky enough that my mom was very understanding in that case. But I think in Lane's world, it's too much. 
Honestly, in your case, what's coming to mind is what you said to Samantha during our interview about mm-hmm. how, um, like, when you're young, when you're a young girl, like, your your grandparents are saying, like, or your, even your parents are saying, don't even look at boys. You're not even, like, don't even look at them. And then when you're 28, they're like, why aren't you married? Yeah. So I had a conversation, <laughs> true story, I had a conversation with my grandmother yesterday. She called me. Um, so we speak every week, my grandmother, paternal grandmother. And lately she hadn't been doing well. Her back was hurting her or whatever. So I was asking her, you know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? She's like, why haven't you called me? Which is ridiculous, by the way, because I call her every week. But anyway. Yeah. Um, so she goes to me, why haven't you called me? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm busy. Instead of just telling her, like, I call you every week, I'm just like, oh, I'm busy with work, whatever. But how are you? How's everything? She's like, have you met anyone? Have you met a boy? Lord. And I'm like, no, yeah, yeah, I haven't met a boy. Yeah, yeah, it's grandma. And she's like, see, I thought you weren't calling me because you were too busy with a boy. Oh, my God. So then I tell her, I'm like, so So I go, okay, yeah, fine. I haven't been calling you because I'm busy with a boy. What do you have to say now? And she goes to me, I don't believe you. Exactly. (laughs) So that was classic example of my grandmother. Also, fun fact about my grandmother, she was talking to me about all her doctors yesterday. Mm-hmm. Well, my grandmother, for being 87 years old, is very, very good at remembering what medication she's on, um, what, like, ailments she has, and she remembers every single doctor's name. Which, Even is though, like, which is interesting, considering she doesn't remember that you call her every week. Yeah, well, she likes to she likes to be, like, woe to me. But anyways, it's not that she doesn't remember. She likes to, uh, whatever. <laughs> yesterday my grandmother and this is the last thing I'll say about this because we're going a little bit off topic but I really just have to share because I also called my mom right after our phone call to share with her and so my grandmother knows all her doctor's names even though she says them with like a weird accent so for example her doctor her kidney doctor is named Dr. Frisch but she calls him Dr. Fisher <laughs> oh god but we all know who she's talking about right yeah Yesterday she called me and she has Dr. Frisch, who is a man, and Dr. Shami, who is a woman. So yesterday she called me and she says, so Dr. Frisch called me and he said that Mrs. Shami told him. And I was like, yeah, yeah, they're both doctors. They should yeah. both be called doctor. It's true. And she doesn't get it. Nope. Like all of her female doctors, she calls them Mrs. That's much as sad, unfortunately. Like Yeah, but she doesn't she doesn't even realize. Yeah, because you're so like she's so trained. Yeah, she, it's so like ingrained in her brain. And yeah, I'm and only, only men are doctors, only men have titles. Yeah, I'm constantly trying to correct her. So every time she says Mrs., I go doctor. And she goes Mrs. and I go doctor. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so that was just my funny tidbit. But yeah, that's that, that's it's it's very hard. When you have two cultures colliding. And side note, dear audience, I've overheard phone conversations between Eleni and her grandmothers, and no, believe me, sure you have. <laughs> and believe me, it's um, it's not pretty. So all all the sympathies go to her on this. Yes, please, thank you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it can be hard sometimes because I, well, you know this. I love my grandmothers, both mm-hmm. of them. But they drive me absolutely bananas. Yep. Um, and so one example being, like, my grandmother never remembers. If I go too long without calling her, that is, like, grounds for punishment. 
Oh, God. But she, she, she like, conveniently forgets all the times that I do call her and all the things that I do do for her. And, you know, like, all these, all the good things she conveniently forgets as soon as you do the bad thing. Yeah. So it can be really, really frustrating. So sometimes you don't want to fucking call her either. You know what I mean? I mean, I wouldn't call her, but that's just me. Well, that's why you're going to hell. <laughs> this is where you also say, that's because you have a penis and it doesn't matter. That's true. But, you know. And just super interesting now that I've moved so this is the second time I've moved but now that I moved um again my brother and my sister-in-law have kind of had to take over some of the stuff that I used to do for my grandmother yeah like pharmacy bank grocery shopping um she hasn't been able to go to the cemetery for a while but we used to do that too and my brother it's so funny to talk to him because he gets so fucking frustrated Welcome to the club, sir. Yeah, I know. And so my my grandmother called me the other day and she's like, your brother loses patience with me a lot. You're much more patient. When are you coming back? Oh, bitch. Mm. And I'm like, oh, now that you said that, I'm never coming back. Like you're thinking in your head, oh, if only you knew how many times I've silently cursed your name. Yeah, exactly. But all that to say, I do love them and I'm going to miss them when they're gone. Um, but it's, I think this all ties into this too. You know, you're trying to please an old mentality mm-hmm. with all the new stuff you've learned. Yeah. So even something as simple as correcting my grandmother when she says Mrs. instead of doctor, that mm-hmm. to me is like, oh, so frustrating. But you know, I don't blame you. sorry, I don't blame you. Yeah, I know. Anyways, moving on. Can I, can we talk about Adam Brody for a minute? Sure, why not? So, Adam Brody, you've never watched The O.C., right? No, I haven't. So, our next podcast is going to be on The O.C. Okay, really? I asked you to do a Desperate Housewives podcast two weeks ago, and you're like, no thanks. Well, that's a terrible show. Oh, and why, The O.C. is better? Well, just the first season of The O.C. <laughs> the O.C., didn't, wasn't, the, wasn't The O.C. Un, like unceremoniously canceled after four seasons? No, I think everyone saw it coming. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, no, no, I'm joking. But um, where I'm going with this is that Adam Brody's characters, and television characters, I should say, have a tendency to make very big gestures and romantic speeches. Mm-hmm. So in this episode, he's talking to Mrs. Kim about how, like, he's basically listing all his good traits, right? Yeah. And he's like, I really like Lane, and she really likes me, and I desperately want to take your daughter to the prom. And it reminds me of the scene in the first season of The O.C. where Adam Brody's character, Seth Cohen, do you know where I'm going with this? I don't. Please continue. Okay, because normally people that don't know The O.C. still know this scene. I really don't. <laughs> I don't know anything about The O.C. It's, it's like, strong. I don't know. You're basic. <laughs> <laughs> but in this scene, so... Adam Brody's character in the OC was very nerdy and into comic books and was teased a lot at school or bullied. Um, And he starts going out with Summer Roberts, who is like a very popular girl (laughs) and very good looking and whatever. Um, And they start dating, but Summer doesn't want to tell people because she's scared about how to look and, you know, all the, all the cliches of the teen show. Right. Yeah. So Seth makes this giant declaration of love and he gets up on the table of the kissing booth and he's like, acknowledge me now or lose me forever. 
And all the girls are like swooning and she gets up and she kisses him and it's a really big moment. Mm. All this to say, I think he plays that character really well. And you, so do you think he plays Dave Rogowski really well in the same way? Yes. Okay, interesting. Because I was actually thinking, it's funny you're saying this, and it's good that you went first, because I was actually thinking during, you know, Dave's whole speech about how, you know, I'm I'm very good, you know, I, I only watch about half an hour of TV a day, and no more than that, because I think it's a waste of time, and blah, 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 blah. I'm thinking, you're so boring. Like, I don't know what it is, I just think the character, and I've said this before a thousand times this season, I just think Dave Agassiz is a boring character. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can't speak for Seth Cohen, but in terms of Dave Rogowski, I'm like bored. Well, I mean, listen, I think part of the problem with the character is that we've only ever seen him in these like clandestine affairs with like they're making plans to skip a fence and like exactly, yeah, feeling kisses and whatever. I think if they were an actually normal couple, mm-hmm. maybe he would have grown on you a little bit more. Like, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened if the OC didn't happen and Dave Rogowski stuck around for season four and how their relationship would have grown. Yeah, no, I get that completely. So I don't necessarily disagree with you in terms of him being boring. I think he was written that way because the Lane, he and Lane were in that situation where they had to hide from Mrs. Kim. Yeah, but I should point out, he's nowhere near as boring as Charlie Swan. no. Poor Charlie Swan. Yeah, he's never mentioned again, by the way. Nope. (laughs) Swan, bye. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so we got Lane out of the way. Yes. But we love Lane. She deserves (laughs) Come on. Should we talk about Lorelai being a delusional, immature child? Okay. I mean, that's that's every episode, so I I should be more specific. Yeah, I was like, where are you going with this? Because we literally talk about this all the time. Yeah, so, like, the phone call that she makes to Emily because she's feeling guilty over the fact that Friday night dinners are now over, or more, like, over at this point, they're they're done. And she says to Suki, you know, before Friday night dinners, we didn't really have much of a relationship. I didn't feel guilty then because I it just felt natural not having a relationship with them. Yeah. And she's kind of, like, digging herself a deeper hole of, like, just being a shitty daughter, unfortunately. Like, I get that she has beef with them. And we've discussed that until we're blue in the face. But, like, in this, in this, just, like, stop being a child. Yeah, so I had a similar thought when I was, uh, when Lorelai calls Emily. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I'm calling to chat. We can still call, you know. Um, and Lorelai tells Emily, we still used to talk before Friday night dinner. So why why can't we talk? Like delusion, right? There's the delusion. Yeah, there is a delusion, but also the added layer to this is that Emily then gives us a little bit of insight into their relationship pre-Friday night dinner when mm-hmm. she says that I used, to tell you, I used to leave you a message on your answering machine to tell you I had something important to discuss to trick you into calling me back. Yeah. So you get the impression just from this little tidbit that Lorelai was never the one to reach out first. No, of course not. And Emma, which is very on brand for her character, by the way. <laughs> And that Emily was the one doing all the reaching out. So even though Emily was probably very hurt and didn't understand her daughter's motives, she still made the effort to call her, right? Yeah. So I think that kind of explains why Emily is still very hurt about all this. Mm-hmm. 
about her daughter saying, like, here's the money, chow bye. Yeah, because, like, she never, like, I'll, I'll argue that she never, she never healed the wounds from the first, you know, 30 years of yeah. her life. It was like, hi, mom and dad, you know, Roy died at Chilton, and I need money, and I was wondering if I could borrow it from you, and then that yeah. leads into this Friday night dinner obligation, because that's what it was, to, at least in Lorelai's opinion, it was always an obligation. Yeah. And I I personally believe she never would have gone back for Friday night dinner. She's like, oh, there will be some dinners. It's like, no, there won't be Lorelai. Like, I'm with Emily on this one now because as time went on, you realize that as soon as Lorelai paid back the loan in her brain on some level, that was the end of her obligation to ever see her parents. Yeah. And I think more so in this episode than the last one, I think the only reason she calls them Mm-hmm. In this case, is because she feels she well, she says it to Suki. I just felt like something was missing, you know? Yeah. So it was for three years I was going to Friday night dinner and now I'm not. Mm-hmm. It was it wasn't because she missed them, I don't think. Maybe on a deeper level she did, but it was more so the fact that she felt like she should be doing something. Yeah, and I think in the three years of Friday night dinners, she kind of fell into a routine of obviously going to their house every Friday night and in going to their house, it was like fulfilling this deep sense of moral obligation to see her parents. And now that this social construct of the Friday night dinner is gone, she she doesn't know how to interact with them. Exactly. Yes. No, I get it. But yeah, you you can, during the conversation, you could tell that Emily's still very hurt. And I understand because I don't, like I said, neither of them healed the wounds from the past. So Mm -hmm. Emily's, you know, saying, well, uh, we didn't have any relationship before. I would trick you into calling me back. And then you'd put Rory on the phone before she was too old, like even when she was too young to talk. By the way, parents never do that. I don't want to hear a babbling baby. (laughs) Yeah, no, please don't. Um, It's just, it's, you can see that. A, Lorelai's delusional that she thinks that was that, that was a relationship. And B, um, you can't blame Emily or fault Emily for feeling this way because, like you said, she was trying in those years to stay in contact with her daughter and grandchild. But mm-hmm. it was Lorelai who, who, you know, was being a bit immature. We don't know the context of the past before the show started necessarily, but she was the one who was like, mm, no, I can't, you know, just didn't know how to maintain this some level of family contact without bringing up all the nasty stuff from the past. Yeah, so I think the thing that bothers me the most about all this is that Lorelai always says how she couldn't live with her parents anymore. It was too much. They put too much pressure on her, blah, 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 blah. That I get. You had to leave. They wanted you to get married. You didn't want to get married. I understand. She was very unhappy. But then what ends up happening is that you've left, you're on your own, but your parents are still checking up on you because presumably they're your parents and they still care about you, right? Yeah. So now you're a mother. And my problem with Lorelai is her inability to put herself in her mother's shoes. Yeah. Like, I think... I think that a lot of people shit on season six, but I think in terms of character development, or maybe not development, but in terms of insight into Lorelai's character, it's, we get to see 
kind of what Emily was going through through Lorelai's eyes. Yeah. Am, I being, am I being normal, clear? I don't know what the fuck. <laughs> no, you've 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 shared that um that with me before, and I've and I and I've had to agree, even though I have very mixed feelings with season six. It no, does. Listen, don't get me wrong. I have mixed feelings about season six as well. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the Lorelai Rory rift. Yeah. I found it was a really good opportunity and it was smart of the writers to do it only because Lorelai then gets to see what, first of all, she's, she gets to see what her mother kind of felt when her daughter left. Yeah. But also she became very petty, shall we say? More so than before. Yeah. Yeah. More so than before. And so my my problem with Lorelai has always more so than she's childish, more so than she can be a little bit um, like everything's a joke, even when it's not kind of thing. Mm-hmm. My problem with her has always been that she cannot empathize with people. And yeah, I would agree in terms of definitely her mother. And I think even with Suki, sometimes she's like not and like Suki's a flake. We agreed on that. But yeah. she doesn't know like she doesn't know how to properly put herself in other people's shoes because I think the way the way that she came of age was so unconventional like having a child so young and forging her own path I think that she I think she gets so lost in this role of I'm independent I didn't want the life my parents laid out for me I forged my own path blah 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 like she gets so I think she gets so tied up in the fact that she had to make her own way in life that she doesn't know how to necessarily empathize properly with people who also forge their own way in life. You know what I mean? No, I completely agree. And I think it's also, it's not so much that she gets tied up in it. Mm -hmm. I agree she does. But I also think it's a pride thing. Yeah, it's definitely a pride thing. So she mentions it a lot, especially when she talks to her parents. She kind of throws it in their faces a lot that, you know, I had to make it on my own. I had to do whatever I could. I had a small baby. I bought this house, but blah, blah, blah. We get it. You know what I mean? Yeah. My problem is that like seven years later, you're still fucking talking about that. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about it before. She's kind of unwilling to accept help sometimes, but she's also very unwilling um, to see things from another perspective. Yeah, it's it, so, yeah, it definitely, it definitely ties together with whenever I say she's immature, that's kind of what I'm getting at is like, yeah. she doesn't know how to just, like I think she knows how like she obviously knows how to see something from someone else's perspective, but she refuses to do it in certain cases where it's necessary. Like, yes, your mother and you are not the same, and you had, you know, a very difficult upbringing because you never saw eye to eye, and I get that Lorelai was unhappy and had to leave her parents house and make her own way like I get it and I commend her for taking that step towards her own life yeah but on another level she never really like she never really considers or she does consider it but not not in the way you want her to she never considers the way that the way that she left and the way that that affected her parents in that they were also parents in the way that Lorelai is a parent yeah and that to me Yes, absolutely. And that to me is the pride thing, but it's also a spite thing sometimes. Yeah, she wants to spite them for this, like, again, traumatic childhood, if she had one, if it's, you know, we can call it traumatic, as we discussed trauma last week. Yeah. But um, just the way that she reacts to her past, like, clearly it was traumatic. But, you know, at a certain point, not to sound, you know, too much on the tough love angle, but like, you kind of have to 
heal your wounds at some point or else it just gets old and people kind of just get tired of you list get tired of listening to you ramble on about the same garbage you've been going through your whole life like not to say that your anyone's trauma is invalid like i get it it's hard but like you have to make like make some kind of effort take some kind of step to healing those wounds for yourself yeah and i think what i'll say about it also is that number one i think she uses it as a crutch a lot of the times yeah definitely it's always a crutch so whenever she gets into these arguments with her dad and her mom she always she always pulls out that card Mm -hmm. like I was unhappy and you guys made me unhappy and I had to get away and then I made a life for my own. Boom. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think back to the scene of um, where Richard is telling her, you know, he's explaining, you know, your mom couldn't get out of bed for a week after exactly. you left. For weeks, for yeah. months or whatever he says. You know what I mean? He's like, do you understand how hard it was for us? Mm-hmm. And she's like, mm-hmm. yeah, of course I do. But I think it's such a flippant comment. And she's like... I don't think you do because you've because never she, she never she never considers she never I'm trying to like gather my thoughts but she <laughs> never she never really like she says it like yeah okay I get it they had a hard time but not as hard as me you know what I mean yeah it's really I want her now that she's a parent to kind of branch out a little bit and say okay imagine now if my child was really unhappy how would that make me feel that's how my mother felt she is incapable of doing that number one Mm -hmm. i think because she thinks she's better than her mother in the way in a sense because she says well i never stifle my child like that yeah but you also kind of have to think you have okay you have different parenting styles and you grew up differently i get it but i think a lot of it is out of spite and she just doesn't as much as she says, yeah, I get it. Ma- you and mom had a hard time, you know. I don't think she really, like, grasped the concept. No, and she's, like, always waging this petty childhood war over getting revenge over her parents for, make- for making her unhappy. And, like, once again, I understand and, and you know, sympathize with how unhappy Lorelai was as a child. But mm-hmm. at a certain point, you're you're an adult now. You kind yeah. of have to, like, I'm not going to say get over it, but like, you kind of have to heal the wounds of the past come yeah, to terms to with on. yeah you have to move you have to move you have to find a way to move on and be like in a place of healthy emotion with the thought of the past no i get it and at the end of the day if you don't move on i think it's doing more harm to you than anyone else and she always has this if you notice next time you're watching especially any year in the life it's so clear she always has this pouty face whenever she realizes she's acting like a child Mm-hmm. And especially in regards to her mother, she's like just this pouty face of, well, mm, like I don't have to do anything I don't want to do, or like just this ridiculous face uh, that she always has in those in those scenarios. Which, and, way, yes, you're an adult. You don't have to do whatever you don't want to do. Fine, but I mean, be an adult because sometimes you have to do something that you don't want to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. And could we also argue that Lorelai kind of re- remains in this childish? immature garbage state of mind sometimes because she had a child so young didn't really have a didn't didn't really have the chance to grow up and grow out of that mindset properly oh yeah i think all of lorelei's flaws stem from the fact that she couldn't she she didn't have a normal childhood yeah um i think it all comes back to that but you know it doesn't mean that you're it's not problematic work on yourself work on yourself everybody let's work on ourselves it's hard it's ugly the feelings are ugly but you have to look at them sometimes anything else you wanted to say about Lorelai Gilmore for today 
Um, no, not really. I kind of want to focus on Jess and Rory right now. I think I think we got it all out about Lorelai for today. Yeah, so. and by the way, there's going to be many rants about Lorelai, and if you don't like that, too fucking bad. <laughs> I think everyone in the fandom kind of is is at peace with the fact that she's a flawed character. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, it doesn't mean we don't love her just because she's flawed. We're flawed. Yes, everyone's flawed. Everyone. Um. Okay, so let me let me talk about Jess. Okay. Because. I, so yeah, I said the hits just keep on coming for Jess, and that's so fucking true. Eleni has some feelings about this. Okay, so, uh, oh, <laughs> I do have feelings. Um, So this is the episode that I think it's the straw that breaks the camel's back for Jess. Yeah. So I think, in my mind, if Jess's dad doesn't show up, Jess, eventually calms down and talks to Rory. Mm-hmm. But because then he has an added complication and is still so angry with his father, with his mother, with Luke. Yeah. It's easier to just say, like, fuck it, I'm out. Yeah. Um, and so I feel really, really bad for him. So do you think we could argue that if his father hadn't shown up, that he would have, like, eventually calmed down, come to terms with what happened, kind of attempted to make some kind of peace with the state of his life? And So I, I wouldn't go – so I, personally, I wouldn't go so far as to say he would have made peace with his life. I think there are still really, really big obstacles that he knows he has to come to terms with. Mm-hmm. But – that you know that whole scene where Rory goes to the diner and then she thinks better of it and she leaves, but he sees her, so he starts to go after her and he comes back and he goes again, like that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, I think that was excellently done. <laughs> yes. Because I think that kind of communicates to the audience that you're like, they both have so much to say, but they're teenagers, so they don't know what to say because they're dealing with really heavy shit. Yeah. Especially Jess. Um. So. I I wouldn't go so far as to say that maybe he comes to terms with everything, but I at least would like to say that I think if he had had a couple more days just to sit and be calm, Mm -hmm. I think he eventually would have talked to Rory and said, listen, I'm sorry for whatever happened in the bedroom. It's not your fault. And they would have at least talked about it. Yeah, because I think in my head, we kind of, not everybody, but at least I do, I kind of gloss over the fact that they never resolved what happened in the bedroom. They had that argument, and then there was never any resolution. Yeah, and I will say this for Jess and Rory. Adult Jess and Rory are way more mature than Lorelai ever is. Yes. Because while Lorelai likes to go back in her past and keep bringing things up, Mm-hmm. Jess and Rory know when I'm thinking of season six and then a year in the life. Jess and Rory know when to stop that shit. Yeah. Like, um, so mm-hmm. even though there's unresolved shit from season four, season three, and then season four yeah. as adults, they're able to put it to bed and say that was that. And this is now kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in terms of maturity, I think Lorelai could never. 
Yeah, and it's it's not a matter of the fact that Lorelai doesn't want to be mature like that. I think Lorelai just loves so much. She just loves drama, and she loves having drama of her own to inflict on others, I think, on some level. So the impression that I always get with Lorelai, and I know we're coming back to it even though we're talking about Jess, but I don't give a fuck. It's our podcast. Um, The impression that I always get with her is that she has to have something on the person she's talking to. Yeah. And, And by have something, I don't mean like a smoking gun. I just mean like, you know when you're friends with someone for a very long time? Mm hmm And, like, in year two of your friendship, you got into this big fight, but you think you resolved it. Yeah. And you move on. And then let's say, like, three years later, something else comes up, and you're like, well, you remember when you did this to me? Yeah. And you're like, but didn't we put that to bed? Apparently not. Yeah. So that's, that's, Lorelai, to me, is like a real housewife. (laughs) Go with me on this. Okay. Real you would know because you've watched all of them, apparently. I've watched all of them except for the Australian ones, and I'm getting ready because the Melbourne one looks fucking amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. This is funny because, like, a year, maybe, like, a year and a half ago, if I had said I'm going to watch Real Housewives, you would have judged me hardcore. I wouldn't have because a year and a half ago, I was watching Housewives. Okay, let's say two years ago, then. Yes, that is correct. Okay. Any time in the past, you, before you watched it, you've been like, "Ugh, Real Housewives." What yeah, is that? Well, I apologize because it's it's exactly what the doctor ordered during a pandemic. <laughs> um, where was I? Okay, so no, just to just to say this, it's like when you apologize to someone and you think you've put something to bed, mm-hmm. and you're able to say, "Let's move on." Yeah. You're really doing a disservice not only to the person that you're in conflict with, self, when you don't actually put it to bed. Yeah. Because if you just sit there and stew with it, that's not good for you. No. It's and not. on the other, like on the flip side, it's not good for any of your relationships. Because then how do I, as a friend, um, you know, ever move forward with you knowing that you're keeping score. Yeah, it's true. It's like the way I friend, it's like her relationship with Luke too. You know what I mean? Yeah. She does that. She, she kind of does it with everybody. It's true. I never thought of it that way. All her relationships. And I don't even think she realizes she's doing it. And it's really just detrimental to her relationships, but also I think ultimately to her own mental health because she's unable to let things go with her mother She's mm-hmm. unable to let things go with her father, and she has a huge breakdown in a year in the life. Yeah. You know, everything is a slight to her. You know, Rory's going through a hard time and needs a break from school. Well, I'm not going to speak to you. You know? Yeah, it's true. It's like it's – and you're an adult. Like, don't be immature like that. But, you know, but but the thing is it comes back to what we said before. She didn't have the tools to learn how to let things go. No, she didn't. You know? So it's not really her fault, but I kind of want to shake her. And the reason I get really frustrated with a year in the life is because I don't see any growth. No, there really isn't. So it's just, it's like, it's the same old shit that we saw for seven years. So here I am expecting to have like this happy-go-lucky like moment where I'm like, yay, my favorite show, nine years later, they can do something. But like, she's still the same petty-petty. 
I wonder what what Lauren Graham thought of that. Like, I wonder if she thought like, oh, they're gonna write her differently and she can be more grown up and less immature. And then, nope. Lauren Graham, please come on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we bash Scott Patterson, we love you. But I don't think she likes Scott Patterson, so no one like no one likes Scott Patterson. It's fine. Zero people. Okay, so let's get back to Jess. Um, <laughs> so his father shows up for some unknown reason 18 years later. And I have to say, the actor who plays Jimmy looks a lot like Milo. I know. I, th- I thought it was a really good casting job, by the way. Yes. I agree with you 100% on that. Um, so, really odd timing that he comes back, but tis what it is. Is it odd timing, though? Because we all know that um, Miss Sherman Palladino was planning a spinoff that didn't come to fruition. He meant odd timing in his life, you idiot. Okay. Spoilies! Spoilies! <laughs> but, um, and then I also, this is where I also get a pro- have a problem with Luke. Yeah. So Luke goes to confront um, his ex-brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. And he's like telling him off he's like i'm gonna put your head through a wall whatever the fuck he says i wish the anger that luke had for jimmy he also had for liz i was gonna say for jess because at some point i think we when i've said this in past episodes like luke really failed jess in terms of giving him what he needed like especially in the scene where he says like well, you're gonna you're gonna stay here and you're gonna do twelfth grade over again. He's like, well, or else you'll you'll have to go. And like, that's not what Jess needed in that moment. So I think yeah. it's ironic. In the same episode, we see him being so like chivalrous over uh, threatening to bash Jimmy's head into a wall. But at the same time, like he never, like you said, he never takes that tone with Liz. He never actually expresses the anger towards Liz or even towards Jess. Like I feel like Jess kind of. Both of them, Jess and Luke, needed the opportunity to just yell at each other, and they never really did that. So I have to say that scene where they are yelling at each other, mm-hmm. and Luke's like telling him what the future plans are, and Jess is telling him that he's not graduating. That scene for me is very like not to sound like a cliche, but it's very powerful. <laughs> no, it is. It is powerful because you realize in that moment, like especially as I as I get older and I've you know continued rewatching. Like, Luke really didn't give Jess what he needed. And I know Samantha in our interview said, we just reference Samantha all the time. We love her. We love her. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we talked about how Luke was the show's only quote-unquote good father figure. And we see that later with April. But I think he, Luke really didn't know what he was doing with Jess. And that goes back to what Lorelai said in Jess's very first appearance about how you have no, you have no idea what, what you're getting yourself into. And he really didn't. So No, he didn't. He didn't. Um, again, that's not his fault. No. But, um, he did the best he could with the tools that he had. And mm-hmm. Jess was already really, like, just very angry already. You know what yeah. I mean? But I just, I I get upset when I think about, um, like, how easy Liz gets off in this whole thing. Yeah, for sure. Because she comes up in season four and we're just like, oh, she's a little quirky. She's fine. Mm-hmm. but she also abandoned her child and nobody gives her grief for that and i think a lot of the fandom agrees with this because anytime we've talked about liz we've, we've gotten some we've gotten comments we've gotten emails from people discussing how they they have anger for liz as an as a viewer mm-hmm. and i have to like i've never say i was angry at liz 
But I never liked how and we're skipping ahead because Liz is not even here yet. But I never liked how <laughs> I never liked how she just showed up like she did, and it was like she's a funny, quirky character. And also, why didn't Liz show up before, like when Jess was actually a character? Like Jess was more of an afterthought in season four. Like he showed up a couple of times, and the, the like the loose ends were never really tied up. But that's yeah. when Liz was a character. Liz is like, oh yeah, my big brother solves all my problems. Like no. That's not how that works. Yeah. So I, we are jumping ahead, but I don't care because I'm going to say, I think the reason that Luke and Lorelai's relationship doesn't work very much, at least in the original series, is because Luke has all this anger that he doesn't display towards the people that deserve it. Yeah. Ends up taking it out on his relationship with Lorelai. That's very true. Because especially, especially in season six and seven. Yeah, for sure. Like, that's when all their problems come to head. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyways, getting back to Jess. um, I think it's just so... I don't know. Like, I want to give him a hug, but I also kind of want to shake him. And I want to... I don't know what I want. I I just feel very bad for him. Just like a roller coaster of emotions. Like, you love him, you want to hug him, but also just, like, do... Like, speak up. Yeah, so I don't know, I can't say that I know what he would need in this scenario, right? Like, I don't know what he needs. I know that he's probably, the reason he tells Luke that he's not going back to Stars Hollow High is because he's probably embarrassed, he doesn't want to do over 12th grade in Stars Hollow, like, you know what I mean? I get that, but also I touched on this last episode that Luke telling him that he has to go. hmm just because he doesn't want to do things his way. That's the kind of tough love parenting that I feel never works. And I think it's it's ironic that you're saying that because as I was watching it this time, I'm thinking like, think about in real life how many parents took that approach and it didn't work and it backfired and like it forced the kids to find their own path, kind of more hmm, like Lorelai, but different, um, forced the kids to just be on their own without yeah. really any support more or less like any and any support they did have was not the kind of support they needed yeah so it's difficult because like you said that I don't think that approach to parenting is effective and if it works for you um I don't really want to hear about it because it doesn't sound very nice no so I think yeah that that you live under my roof these are my rules parenting mm-hmm. style does not work like I, I could say maybe it would, it would work maybe in like the early teen years where they're getting a bit, you know, angsty and rebellious and want to do their own thing. Like within within reason, like a curfew, like not you live in my house. It's this, like, I think it's, it's a bit harsh in a way that reflects badly on both parties. Like it reflects badly on Jess because Jess didn't like, Jess feels like a failure for not, for not living up to Luke's standard. Meanwhile, Luke is like, this is all I know how to do, and this is all we're going to do, so you better do it. Like, there's no yeah. in-between. No, no, I get it. And, like, listen, that's not to say, like, when your 13-year-old is acting up, you don't you don't be like, well, it's my way or the highway, get the fuck out. I'm yeah. just saying, it's like, Jess is now an adult. Yeah. Um, That's not going to work. I think, I think because Jess has kind of been starved for affection and understanding... Mm-hmm. I think if Luke had just said, okay, let's talk about this. Yeah. I think even that little snippet of understanding would have been enough for him. 
I think so, too. But the fact that you said, well, you got to go then, it's like you're giving him no choice, kind of. And that just, like, and I think that we, re- we really see the effects of that in season four when he's not in a good place. Yeah, absolutely, because he's just run away from all his problems. Yeah. And he's gotten no closure. He, you know, in his own way, loves Luke and loved his mom, but they can't communicate. So he's, like, on his own, and no one's ever really been there for them for him. Mm-hmm. So he's like, so I'm going to do this alone, and I'm going to have a very hard time of it. Um, And he's going to be angry. And he was very angry. And yet people still sympathize with Dean. Okay, well. Makes no sense to me. Anyway. <laughs> um, Can we talk about Dean for a minute? I actually have a parallel to draw to draw on here. And I did not notice until watching this episode for the purposes of this recording. Okay. So in the beginning of the episode... Jess says to Luke, man, he's going to make some woman a fine doormat someday. I was going to say the same thing. And then later at the end of the episode, oh, look, Dean proposed to Lindsay and we all know what happens there. So foreshadow. Okay, so let's talk about Dean. Unfortunately. The only time I'm ever going to say that. So (laughs) soft it up. Uh, I don't understand the timeline. And I need somebody to help me. Timeline of. So here's the thing. Let me let me let me paint everybody a picture like I'm Bob fucking Ross. <laughs> Very soothing man, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so Dean tells Rory that he proposed to Lindsay and she said yes. Mm. And Rory is understandably, ooh, what the fuck? <laughs> yes, exactly. That was a good sound there. <laughs> it was. Almost like, woo, divorce. Woo! <laughs> no, so here's the thing. Last episode, Dean got into a fight because his ex-girlfriend was crying and he needed to defend her honor. Mm, true. And so in my head, I want to know what the process was. And what the whole fucking Lindsay Dean conversation was. Because in my head, it goes a little something like this. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. I'm already laughing, but go ahead. I heard you snort. Oh, wonderful. I snort when I laugh. That's the title of my my forthcoming memoir. I snort when I laugh. Continue. That's a good title. (laughs) I can edit that. Okay, ready? (laughs) Yes, go ahead. So in my mind, Lindsay is fucking upset because Dean gets into a fight with Jess over Rory, right? Yes. So Lindsay's like very upset with him and she's like, How do you like how do you think that makes me feel that you would defend your ex-girlfriend? I thought you're supposed to be in a relationship with me. And in order to just like shut her up and prove to her that he likes her he loves her, not Rory, he's like, marry me. Oh my god. That's the most accurate thing you've ever said. Because the timing just doesn't make sense. How do you propose after you just fought out, fought for another girl? That's 100% what happened. And I would love for Amy Sherman Paladino to confirm that for us. Like, it, there's no other explanation. I'm sorry. No, because I never thought of it that way. And I actually didn't remember until this episode that this was when he proposed to her, like, right after the yeah. keg party. So that's interesting. Like, for me, that's the only way this could have gone down. Because what else? his explanation makes no sense to her by the way it doesn't make any sense to me either it's like we're getting married oh my ew 
can I just read you these stats that I found and we can discuss why I think teen marriage is weird? I mean, it's weird all the time, but I'll, I'll take your stats. Like marriage is weird all the time? Okay, well, <laughs> on some level, on some level, yes, but teen marriage is definitely. Okay, so I know we're probably going to get a lot of shit because a lot of people are going to be like, I married my high school sweetheart and everything is fine. I get it. It's fine. Yeah, and they're, all, and they're all Dean fans, so that explains a lot. Okay, well. Um, so I don't have a problem with people marrying their high school sweethearts. No, neither do um, I. It's In the theory. timing of the marriage that I find questionable. Okay. So, not only in this case, but in a lot of these cases. So, by the way, like, just before you guys give me shit, my brother and my sister-in-law, high school sweethearts. Yeah, but how, married, how, how, old, how old were they when they got married? They got married when they were 28, though. Okay, yeah. Okay, and they had established careers, and, like, my brother was finishing up his PhD. You know what I mean? Like, they had, they were actually adults. Yeah. Even though they met in high school. So let me just read you some stats that I found yesterday and I find are very interesting. And I think in a lot of cases, or at least in this case, can apply. So high school sweethearts that get married while still teenagers only have a 54% chance of having their marriage last 10 years. Okay. And high school sweethearts that wait until at least the age of 25 to get married have a 10-year success rate of 78%. I believe that. Only 19% of people who marry their high school sweethearts attend college. Mm. And 14% of the couples. So here's why this makes no fucking sense to me. (laughs) In Dean's case. Okay. He says he's still going to college, but we know how that turns out. Yes. Okay. You've been working at Dosey's Market. You clearly are not financially stable. (laughs) Yep. Like, it's not a, like, it's fine. It's a fine job for a high schooler who's saving up to go to college. But you're clearly not ready to, like, establish your life. Also, he worked, didn't he work for, was he also working at Tom's Construction before season four? Like, in season when? Yeah, he, he, well, he has that one scene where he's helping with the soda shop. Yeah. So, like, I don't know what he's doing. He's, like, walking nails back and forth and going to get lunch orders. Okay, one shift. He doesn't have that much money from it. Continue. Okay. Um you're you've been dating Lindsay since episode ten, let's say. Yeah. Okay? Yes. So that's ten episodes later. <laughs> well well no, we're meant to believe that they're not out very long, right? No, they haven't. And then the main problem that I have with just like teen marriage in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know how much you're going to change from the time you're 18 to the time you're 25. Exactly. So, like, maybe stay together, but, like, don't get married right off the bat. So, my thing is, if you, if you have a high school sweethearts, mm-hmm. right, and you love them, and that that's great. You love them, everything's going well, you know you're going to want to spend the rest of your life with them, fine. But... I say this from experience. Do you know how much you fucking change in those years? Mm-hmm. It's true. Values change. Okay. What's important to you changes. You're, 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 you, you fundamentally as a human being just change. Yeah, it's true. And if you find your 
yourselves at the age of 25, 26, with all those changes, still loving your high school sweetheart, by all means, get married. Yeah. But when you're 17 years old, like, I'm sorry, your brain is not fully developed. Mm-mm. It really okay? isn't. So, yes, Dean, you may love her. And she may love you for some god-awful reason. Mm-hmm. But you are clearly not ready to get married. And I think that's, like, a given. Like, we're not we're not meant to believe that he is ready to get married. And I think you can kind of see it in Rory's reaction, which is why he told Rory that way. It's like, uh, no, that's not okay. I don't get it. <laughs> it well, all we have to know is that it gets worse, because it does. No, I know, but I don't... <sighs> okay, so listen, as you know how much I hate Dean. <laughs> Always. But I feel like the writers did him dirty. Okay, specify. Like, I don't understand what the point of this storyline was. In terms of him getting married? Yeah, like, was it all a big ploy from the end of season three? Because they knew at the end of season four that Rory was going to be a... Like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I don't think necessarily. I think maybe in the context of the end of season three, the writers were thinking, um, you know, like, Jess was going to be gone. They knew that. And, like, I think they wanted to clear the slate for Rory to to start Yale in season four. So I think they thought, okay, well, Jess is written out... And what do we want to do with Dean? Like, what would Dean be doing hypothetically after high school? And it's like, oh, of course, this this dipshit would marry someone right out of high school and screw everything up. Like, I think they were thinking, what would Dean's life choices consist of right after high school? And they immediately jumped to make a shitty mistake of getting married right at right off the bat. Okay. Because I mean, because we know aside from like if like he is recurring throughout season four, but aside from a couple of crucial appearances, he's more or less not a main presence in the season until, like, the end. Yeah, no, I get it. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I think they were definitely leaving the door open because Amy Sherman-Paldino has said that she wanted Roy to lose her virginity to someone who loved her. Oh, but they were, def- they were definitely leaving the door open for that, we know. But I think in the context of end of season three, end of season four, they were thinking... We want we want both Dean and Jess more or less out of Rory's life for her to start fresh at college, and okay, like but said, there's a way to do that without him like fucking ruining his life, no? Yes, but also like as a fictional character, it seems plausible to me that uh, someone like Dean, who you know, is Dean. <laughs> That's <laughs> like, the most- it seems plausible to me that someone like Dean would like Im- just spontaneously propose to his high school girlfriend of not very long and get married right out of high school and everything will just be sunshine and roses. Like that to me is very plausible for someone like Dean. Okay. <laughs> I, I, don't think, I don't think the writers did him dirty at all because I never, we don't we don't like Dean, but I think you can kind of see the impact that getting married so young has on his life in season four, especially, you know, just based on his inability to get a haircut. It's like really bad in season four. Oh my God. And we're going to see it and we're going to have a lot of feelings. So buckle up or get out of the car because it's going to be a wild ride for that. Oh my God. I forgot (laughs) about the hair. Yes. So how could I, but I did. 
you getting flash you're getting more flashbacks now yeah like now it's in my head and i'm just annoyed um <laughs> okay it's it's more the fact that like nothing nothing up until this point has indicated that dean would be that type what do you mean because i think the opposite oh really because like when i when i say it seems Maybe possible it to... feel so bad that we've been shitting on dean oh no but when it seemed but when i say that it feels plausible for him to get married at a high school. To me, the passive-aggressive yet chivalrous, you know, all good American boy. That to me, like, matches with someone who would get married at a high, get married right out of high school and think that that solves all of life's open ends. Yeah, honestly, now that you're saying it, I guess you're kind of right. Because, <laughs> like, remember in season, remember in season two when Lorelai compares Dean to Andy Hardy like to me Andy Hardy would be someone who would get married super young in the context of you know the 50s post-war America and everything would be Jim Dandy yeah so I don't know if it's just my own issues with like teen marriage or whatnot Mm -hmm. but like to me it's such a weird I don't know I don't know it's to me it's just so fucking weird (laughs) That I think it's like really weighing on me. <laughs> that yeah, I'm just like, no, it's oh, weird. I don't know why any person would do that. And I'm like, I think you're thinking in the context of real life, and like I'm thinking in the context of fiction, because you know you think of, um, you know, stuff like or just ideals from 50s post-war America, where you get young, get young, you get married young, <laughs> you get married young, and you. Um, you know, buy a lovely house in Connecticut and have children. It's just, I think that ideal is long dead in some ways, but also very much alive in others. So I think in, shall we say, less urban communities, not necessarily rural, but like less urban, smaller towns in America, I would maybe argue that the idea of getting married right out of school seems plausible and doable because there's not like there's not much else other than marriage on the horizon eventually so it's like let's just do it now so to me Dean fits that category no so I see what you're saying and it kind of makes sense but for me I think yeah I have a hard time separating that um I have a hard time separating the show from from reality in terms of in my head, it just seems so fucking ridiculous, especially with the times we're living in that you're like, yo, let's get married. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, like, I, don't, I don't know anybody in real life in this day and age who would do that. Like, I, I'm thinking of, like, you know, the movie Sweet Home Alabama with, with, with Reese Witherspoon, and they got married right out of high school, and that ended horribly. Like, I'm thinking of fiction. It ended great in the end. In the end, but in the beginning, it's it ended shit. Like, it ended like but shit, so... Sick. Here's the thing. Even in Sweet Home Alabama, they had to grow, you guys. Exactly. Oh, my God. I love that movie. It's a perfect blueprint for everything we're talking about. Go watch that movie. They had to grow. (laughs) But they still loved each other in the end. They needed some time apart to grow, and they had their happy ending. So maybe maybe if Dean and Lindsay, God forbid, had, you know, stayed together and not gotten married, maybe they would have had a happy ending. Probably not, because that was just bleh all around. But it could have happened. And do we ever really get insight into why he didn't end up going to college? Not really, other than the fact that Lindsay wanted him, wanted this and Lindsay wanted that, so he had to quit school and make more money. Oh, all right. <laughs> but once again, we are jumping ahead, so keep all of that 
bundled inside for season I four. I know, it's just, it's, it's a hard, oh, okay. So, I don't know, I'm going to say something that's potentially controversial, but I don't get it. <laughs> but I don't care is what I meant to say. Um, I think it does a disservice, like, writers do a disservice to characters when they, especially female characters, when they're like, well, they're going to get married straight out of high school. Mm-hmm. And, like, you're not giving your character, and in this case, I don't really care because it's Dean. Yeah. But let's say it was um, a main character. You're not giving your character the chance to grow mm-hmm. and explore what else they can do. So Rory, for example, went off and went to college, and I would argue changed. Yeah. And, you know, I think the opposite with what they did to, with Lane's character. Where she wasn't given the opportunity, not that she got married straight out of high school, but they did the they did the really obvious thing where she fell in love and got married to the guy and she yeah. never went to college and like that's that. And so often in television shows or even books, I would say, but so often marriage is the end all. Yeah. And it's like as soon as they're married, well, happy ending. Yes, but yeah, definitely in fiction, like you don't think maybe in real life too. I'm not married. You're not married, so we don't know. But <laughs> like, especially in fiction, marriage is kind of seen and structured as the happily ever after. And I think a lot of people take pleasure in writing stories, whether it's for the screen or for the page, about how life didn't go all as planned after we got married. And I think in modern times that trope is kind of almost beloved at this point because so many romantic comedies have made use of it. And Gilmore Girls, which exists more or less in that same kind of early 2000s rom-com realm, I think all kind of ties in with, we, we got married and that's going to solve everything. Audience knows differently. Yeah. I don't know. To me, it's just, it's, I think it's more, I don't know. To me, I think it's more the, 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 the issue for me is, marriage being the end yeah. you know what i mean yeah so like and now that i'm talking about it i kind of realize we we do the same thing with luke and lorelei mm-hmm. so how many of us were like oh i didn't like a year in the life because like luke and lorelei didn't get their wedding i'm i never said that but no not you but a lot of people the <laughs> issue that they have with a year in the life is because they they expected lorelei and luke to be like to have their shit together nine years later, right? Yeah. And when the show opened and they're still having the same old problems, everyone was like, but I thought this was supposed to be happily ever after. And happily ever after is them being married. True. So I think I have more an issue with people thinking that your story ends when you're married. Yeah. Because we don't see much more of Lane when she gets married and has babies. Like that becomes her whole life. Especially in a year in the life, too. Yeah, like, Suki in the year in the life runs off and is, like, on a farm with her kids. Mm-hmm. You know? And the only reason, well, not the only reason, but because, of course, they're the protagonists. But Rory's life is still up in the air, and so is Lorelai's, because they're not married. Yeah. Even Paris, like, is divorced <laughs> with her two kids. Yeah. And that takes center stage to the fact that she's both a lawyer and a doctor. How are we not talking more about that? Yeah, I think I think especially, like I said, because Gilmore Girls falls into this weird rom-com 
hyper rea- hyper focused version of reality where where yeah. like you know the story ends at happily ever after. I think more or less this whole argument can be summarized by the problematic elements of our cultural obsession with happily ever after. Would you agree? Yes, we could write an essay. <laughs> I'm in essay. I think I'm in essay mode. Can you tell? Yeah. Do it for Book Riot. Oh, yes. So I think we're bearing the lead from, for this episode. After all of this, we still haven't talked about the most important part of this episode. Which is? Fran dies. I was go- Yo. <laughs> Can I just say, I wrote in my notes, Fran's dead. Jeffrey's rejoicing. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm not happy. I'm not necessarily happy that she's dead. She was annoying. But, like, oh you know. God. <laughs> but I do have to say, trying to figure out who gets the dragonfly in at the woman's funeral is a bit much, even though I hated Fran. Okay, so I was very, like, I know it's supposed to be funny, like, they're quirky, whatever, it's small town, but I was really kind of cringing. <laughs> yeah. Like, at the funeral, while the lady's casket is being, like, led through the town... And, like, you're supposed to think it's funny, but it's not really. I mean, the older I get, I'm I'm sure I probably thought it was funny when I was growing up. But the older I get, the more I'm just like, yo, this is no bueno. <laughs> like, you, you could have asked the lawyer after you put the casket down. You know, like, you could have talked to the lawyer any other time. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. And then you're like, and then the part that really made me cringe is when Lorelai and Suki are like, oh, let us help you with that. And they're like, go to lift the casket. Like, can you just not let the lady rest in peace for one fucking day? <laughs> exactly. Like, I didn't like Fran. I thought she was annoying. But, like, at someone's funeral, it's saying, like, so who gets the, that inn that she owned? Like, oh, can we know? Like, what's happening? And then they, they start jumping up and down the street. Like, the woman is dead. You could have waited a day before doing this. Or even an hour. My God. I, I Yeah. So, I don't know. It's just, like, to me, I know it was meant to be funny, like, okay, haha, like, they really want their in. But, oh, I don't know. To me, it was, like, very bad. <laughs> and I think they also wanted us to to focus on the fact that with the Independence in not doing so well and the end of the season is fastly approaching, they think, oh, well, it's going to happen in season four now. The dragonfly's available. Like, will they get it? Won't they? Like, yeah. I don't know. So, for me, it was really annoying. <laughs> and uh, I didn't like them in that moment. Um, and fun fact, Melissa McCarthy's actual husband is in this episode. He is, I noticed. Yeah, but they weren't married at this point, by the way. But I love how even even though they aren't married at this point, he he kind of pops up everywhere in her in her movies thereafter. Yeah. Like not all of her movies, but you you can tell that they're you know two peas in a pod. Yep. No. So um, just uh, some some little trivia for you. <laughs> Um, anything else for this episode? I think we, we did pretty good. <laughs> I think we've discussed everything to death this week. So in conclusion. But Jess, also. Yeah, Jess needs a hug. <laughs> from me. a baby. <laughs> and uh, wait to get married. Uh, yeah, I think that's, it, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, where can you find us, Jeffrey? Um, they can follow us on Instagram at Gilmore Girls Podcast, mm-hmm. on Twitters at Gilmore Podcast, and mm-hmm. you can send us an email, should you please, uh, love letters, questions, comments, concerns, uh, gilmorepodcast at gmail.com, and shall you update them on the bracket? We shall. <laughs> um, 
So we posted, well, last week we had two matchups. And um, so we had Rory's birthday parties against Rory's, uh, sorry, Lorelai's graduation. Mm -hmm. The birthday parties won. Of course. Uh, Yeah, of course. I think that's a better episode. I think you guys Mm -hmm. did well with that episode. Um, 208, ins and out of ins, ins and outs of ins, excuse me, and versus 608, let me hear your balalaikas ringing out. Mm-hmm. 6081. Which I was kind of surprised about, but also okay. not. Like I, feel like I feel like I could have gone either way with those two. Yeah, I think... Mm, okay, so I think the reason it won is because a lot of people were just happy to see Jess in a good place. Yes. And being, like, the bigger person for once. <laughs> and, like, I think all Jess fans were, like, just very happy that he returned once after season four. Yeah, and had his shit together. Yes. Seemed like. And so the biggest one that we had last week um, that we talked about was 421 versus 422. Mm-hmm. And I had talked about how, for me, 421 wins because it just had a lot of anticipation building up to the finale. Like, you just had so much going on that you're like, where are they going with this? Yeah. And it seems like you guys agreed with me, because 421 won by 1%. Really? Oh, the last time I saw it, it was 422 was going to win, so I thought... I know, but yeah, it pulled out at the last second, which was really surprising to me. Well, there you go. You won. So I guess you agreed with me, you guys. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I think there's also something that people love about... um, Luke taking initiative during Liz and TJ's wedding mm-hmm. and like asking her to dance and bringing her flower. You know, I think, I think a lot of people love that. Despite the fact that Liz didn't really deserve it, but. Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that we won't talk about. <laughs> no, we're keeping it all bundled inside for season four. Mm, oh my God. I'm going to have so much to say. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to kick it to season five for this okay. week's bracket challenge. 522, a house is not a home, versus 519, but I'm a Gilmore. Oh, God. They're both very frustrating episodes. They really are, and that's why I picked them to go together. <laughs> I'm going to have to go with 522, just because okay. 519, I want to smack her, but... Oh, smack a bitch. For different reasons. Yeah, I know. It's always for different reasons. <laughs> All right. So we will let you know. We'll update you next week. Yeah. And uh, I think that's it. Thank you guys so much for listening to our ramblings. <laughs> and thank you for always being so into our ramblings. Yes. We'll uh, see you next week. Yes. Thank you again. Bye.